This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a very special interview, and it's an interview with Matt Griner. He is the drummer of my favorite metalcore band out there, and that is August Burns Red. Guys, I talk about August Burns Red all the time, pretty much every episode, because again, the intro, outro music on this podcast is their song, King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record. And y'all hear me say that every time if you listen to the outro. But the thing about Matt Griner is he's my favorite metal drummer. Yes, he's he's my favorite drummer on the planet. Yes, I kind of went a little fanboy in the podcast, but that's all right. But the thing is, is they're about to release their ninth full-length studio album, August Burns Red is. And so this is a band that's been around for a very, very long time. This band kind of started in that underground Christian metal scene, kind of in the solid state era. But their band came out of a small town in the middle of Amish country, Pennsylvania. And now they're literally one of the biggest metal bands in the world. And so whenever I reached out to Matt to do this podcast, obviously we want to talk about music. But here's the interesting thing about this podcast. For any of you guys that are ready to maybe skip this one, because you don't like August Burns Red, you don't know who Matt Griner is, maybe you you're not into metal music. Here's the deal. We go into a lot of different areas. We don't just talk about music. Okay. Because there was a a big thing that happened with the band whenever they kind of had to define what the band was going to be about. Is this a gospel centered band? Like what are we using God's name for? So there was an interesting bit of conversation that happened around that. We also talk, you know, a little bit about society. We, We certainly talk about the brand new album Guardians that's coming out at the beginning of April of this year. And that's more towards the end. But guys, there's a lot of nuggets in here for you guys to take away. This is a dude that grew up on a farm. This is a guy that works his butt off. So this isn't just some sort of like, you know, weirdo artist that's just like, you know, all about his drums, man. Like, that's just not what this podcast is going to be. So it's a fairly lengthy interview. And if you've uh, followed Matt Griner for any length of time, he doesn't normally do interviews of this length. So we're incredibly appreciative of the fact that he gave us this amount of time. But I would just encourage you to stick with this one, right? So if if we're kind of talking about some things or some albums that maybe you're not familiar with, there's a lot of nuance in this. Again, because he's not just some sort of like dude bro artist. Like this is a guy that works really, really hard at his craft. He treats drums like it's a business and there's a lot that you can learn from this podcast. All right, guys. So without further ado, let's get into it. Matt Griner, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I I just got to tell you, and I'm going to get made fun of for this, but I don't care. I'm going to fanboy a little bit on this podcast because you are my favorite drummer on planet earth of any band. And so, yeah, I know it's super sweet, isn't it? But here's the thing. (laughs) I kind of secretly wish that you could accidentally replace Lars and be the drummer for Metallica. I feel like that would like really, really improve their band, but you know, we don't have to give him too much crap, but the big, the big reason why I'm having you on the podcast is because last week y'all released the big news that you have a new album coming out on April 3rd. So it's called Guardians and it is actually y'all's ninth full-length studio album. You can pre-order it now. It's on augustburnsred.com. Don't worry, guys. I'll have the link in the show notes for you. And guys, we're definitely going to talk about the new album. We're going to talk about your faith in Christ. We're going to talk about a lot of music related things and a lot of things related to August Burns Red, but I'd be remiss if we didn't actually start from the beginning. And that is you grew up on a farm. <laughs> you grew up on a farm <laughs> in the middle of, of basically nowhere Amish country in Lancaster, PA. And you still, you know, live there and you still work on the farm at the Griner farm with your family. So what was it like for you for, cause for a lot of us not growing up in that type of environment, what was that like for you growing up there? Yeah, that is the beginning. Um, it, it seems like a lot of, of who I am today is because of the farm experience I had as a kid, you know, it's, um, I look back and I think about Saturdays. Most of my friends were watching cartoons, watching TV, playing video games, 
that was like free for all day. For me, even still to this day, if I'm watching TV on a Saturday morning at age 34, I feel guilty. <laughs> right. <laughs> the reason for that is on a farm, uh, it's all hands on deck, really. I mean, it's it, there's there's always something to be done. There's always work that needs to be um, attended to, whether it's broken down machinery, which in our case, on our small farm, is the case. We have very, very old equipment. The reason we have very, very old equipment is because if we bought a new tractor, it would put our profit in the ringer for about 10 years. Right. So it's more lucrative to just keep our 1970s Oliver tractors running and spend 90% of our energy fixing broken things than it is to go out and buy a new tractor and sort of sail away. So I was born and raised on a cash crop farm. Cash crop farming in Pennsylvania means corn, soybeans, maybe wheat, and maybe hay. Cash crop implying we do not have livestock. So we're growing, maintaining, harvesting, and drying down the crops so that we can, in the end, sell it to local mills who will then distribute it to farmers who have dairy, pigs, chickens, any number of different livestock. So our job is really just supplying farmers with what they need to complete their farm ops. Um, we have about 140 acres. <clears throat> I have seven siblings. Did you know that? Is that online have, somewhere? Uh, it's probably on Wikipedia and I probably didn't believe it because I thought someone was trolling, but yeah, that's pretty <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it's true. Can you believe that? It's it's true, and and uh, also maybe as unbelievable as the fact that they're all my best friends, and I I didn't always get along with all of them, but uh, I don't have a lot of best friends. I wouldn't usually say that, but it's I mean it's true. I look I look back, and I've I have four brothers and three sisters, and um, we work together on the farm, and so it's created this bond that. You know, when you work with someone, it changes the dynamic of your relationship if you're able to maintain the, the friendship. Um, and if you are, then you have a, a pretty good bond. And um, so my big family all contributed to this farm and, and there's not a lot of money in it, but it is a lifestyle that created in me a sense of work ethic that has transcended the boundaries of the farm and infiltrated every area, I guess, of who I am. So when I play drums, I, I play with that same heart of like, okay, it's Saturday morning. I could be doing X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to practice. Um, I'm on tour. I could be sitting on the bus, but I want to get out and, you know, do some work or practice or warm up or go talk to some fans. Um, I guess some would call it a workaholic. I, I just, I, I really enjoy working. I definitely to a fault, find some of my identity in it, which I would attribute to the farm because you just work. It's what you do. Um, so to bring you up to speed, last year, uh, in January, I, I met with my dad and he said, are you ready to do this? I said, I'm, I'm ready. We drove to a office about 20 minutes from my house, sat down with a lawyer, and I bought about half of the farm. Oh, wow. I now have ownership. So in, instead of it just being me working on the farm, um, I'm now 
paying the bills and have a vest, you know, a vested interest in what happens and how successful it is. <laughs> well, that dude, that's, I did not know that that's really awesome. I mean, you hit on a lot of things there, which is, you know, and we'll get into this a little bit later as to kind of how August Burns Red even operates from a, from a high level of professionalism, but even just, I want to point out something very interesting you said about your siblings and how those are your best friends. For a lot of people, it's kind of like cats and dogs or oil and water with their siblings, but there's, <laughs> there's even a, a nonprofit out here in my area in Oklahoma called Family ID. And the, the guys that run it, it's like, you know, if you're fighting with your siblings in the house, you don't get to go see your friends out outside the house. I mean, it's like your siblings are are there for you and they are blood and, you know, they might be there whenever your best man from your wedding or your bridesmaid or something like that may not be there. And so mm. it's important that you have that relationship. But, you know, for any of you guys that are worried that this is going to be an agricultural podcast, don't you worry because <laughs> we're getting into the to the music now. But, you know, we got to kind of set the stage. So I appreciate you, but you doing that and congrats on, on buying part of the family farm. But I want to kind of flow on just the whole Christian underground hardcore metal scene. Because when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, I had a buddy from church hand me two albums and said, go home and listen to these today. And those two albums were Reborn by Living Sacrifice Mm -hmm. and Blood and Fire by Zayo. Mm -hmm. And up to that point, the the hardest thing I'd ever heard was Metallica. But at that point in history, Metallica was kind of in their load reload stage, right? So it wasn't, you know, Master of Puppets. It wasn't Ride the Lightning. It wasn't any of those types of things. But as soon as I put on the first track on Reborn by Living Sacrifice, Reborn Empowered, it just agreed with my palate for whatever reason. It's like, I, I, I don't understand why this is so aggressive and why this is so crazy and why I like it so much. So, <laughs> so for you, like w- what song yeah. or what band or what album kind of pulled you into the world of, of underground Christian metal or hardcore? Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. That's, that's exactly what happened to me. When I first heard this kind of progressive heavy alternative i've never heard this before i'm bobbing my head on the downbeat now i'm on the upbeat like everything about it it it, like you said agreed with your palate it's like i was made to listen to this and i was i was homeschooled and probably somewhat sheltered in a christian home where i wasn't really allowed to listen to anything beyond the parameters of very mild christian uh, you probably call it like soft rock i mean at that point in the 90s that would be the genre but kind of like dc talk or jars of clay stuff like that dc talk jars of clay a little bit but definitely dc talk my first show was degarmo and key newsboys of course you know all the classics right and so i liked i liked music i knew i enjoyed it but i always looked at the drummer and i i didn't start playing until i was 15 and so preceding my sitting behind a kit and actually playing drums. I knew that I understood what the drummer was doing, even though I had never played drums before. In the same way that when you listen to that heavy music, you know, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is like, I get this. Like, this is for me. It's the same way. The reason I fell into heavy music though, my palate would be really centered around drums. It's always been about drums. It's, It's not about screaming. It's not about, it's not about, the aggression. It's not about the angst. (laughs) I mean, it's, it is that for a lot of people, but for me, it was like, this is the hardest drumming I've ever heard in my life. I cannot believe that this exists and that people listen to it, but this is what I want to do. There's nothing else I want to do. 
Well, that's the cool thing about that music is, is I agree with you because, you know, you talk about the screaming and that's usually hard for people to get past, but it's the level of musicianship is to an extreme degree that people don't quite understand if they're not in the scene. And so the scene itself, I feel like I grew up during the gold the, the golden era of the solid state era. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I started with living sacrifice and Zayo and then it expanded, you know, to, to you guys and, and under oath and the chariot and some of those bands. So kind of describe, cause you came up around the same time that I did the whole mm-hmm. solid state scene. I know a lot of kids right now that are listening to this are like, Oh, solid state. I'm glad they're talking about it, but just explain that effect on you. The whole solid state scene had, because it it still is niche. When you look back in history, that was a niche scene, but it had such a profound impact. It had a huge impact. I mean, solid state's a record label from the state of Washington, which is about as far away as you can get from where I live in States. I live in Pennsylvania, a very small town, Lancaster County. Um, and I remember kicking stones around on my farm, literally kicking stones around just in a train of thought with my friend Jordan Tuscan, who was the bass player for August Moon's Red in the beginning. And I remember saying to Jordan, I said, dude, can you imagine if we got signed to Solid State? We just started the band. Like, that would be it. If we get signed to Solid State, we've made it. We were looking up in a huge way at bands like you said, Under Oath. But for me, it was a band called Extol. Yeah, yeah. Extol is what got me into the style of drumming that I play today. And at that time, <laughs> Solid State had a way of creating this look. It, it, it's almost like what Apple became in that like everything Solid State did was perfection. The bands on their label all sounded incredible. They were like the untouchables. That label was perfection. And in your head, you had this idea that, you know, anything Solid State put out was going to be the best. It didn't matter what genre it was. It it really didn't matter if you've ever heard them before. You know, you could go to your local record store at that time and you could buy something that said Solid State on the back and you'd be pretty happy about it once you put it in your CD player in your car on your way home. Like you had that much faith in the label. Um, and so at that time, you know, that was a dream of ours that when it came into fruition was mind boggling. We got to join the ranks of our favorite bands at the time. Here's what happened. We started the band. We played a lot of local shows in the area. We booked our own shows. We brought in national acts and we supported those bands in our local VFW, fire halls, skating rinks, garages, my barn, etc. So people came to see this day forward or um, uh, any number of like mid-sized, you know, national acts who were on tour booking a day off and we were main support. So everyone that came to the show here from Lancaster was going to see us in order to see them. So we grew in the tri-state area and then we did a, a tour following our, our signing to a small local uh, record label called CI records. That was our, springboard into solid state well solid state saw some of our music online some of our demos and jonathan dunn um who's not there anymore but he was an anr rep he reached out to us and he sent us an email he said august burns red i like what you're doing i'm interested would you be willing to drive across the country three thousand miles and play a show for us we'd love to see you guys live and meet you 
So we had a band meeting and we're like, okay, first of all, there's no way this is real. Yeah. <laughs> this must be a fake email. And second of all, are we willing to do this if it is? So we replied and we determined that this was a valuable investment of our time and money. We said, sure, we'll do it. And Jonathan responded and said, you're signed. And we said, wait, what? I thought we had to. And of course, he was using a tactic of, of seeing how dedicated we are sure. to, this, to this task. And so we signed a solid state. And that was uh, 2005. We got a sizable budget to record The Real Seeker with Adam D. And, and that was the point in which we really never looked back. landscaping. JB was working at a grocery store. Um, I don't think Jordan was working. Uh, but I mean, we were, we were, I mean, we were juniors, seniors in high school at the time. And we were just about to start down a road that we, we could have never imagined. We were always looking at it from the outside. That's incredible to even hear your perspective on solid state. Cause, uh, and it didn't even connect for me until you said it the way you said it. But I remember when demon hunter, released their first album. And this is a band that had never played a live show. So I remember everybody saying, oh, this band's going to stink. You know, they're, they're just, you know, they're a made up band. And then Solid State put their, you know, basically stamped their approval onto Demon Hunter. And that first album came out and just melted everybody. And it's like, mm. because Solid State didn't really make mistakes in that era, there were just no mistakes at all. But even going back to what you were talking about, again, August Burns Red being founded back in, in 2003 in Lancaster, PA, Middle of Amish, Amish country, not metal country. But I mean, y'all's all of your first albums, your seminal albums. So Thrill Seeker, the one you mentioned, but also Messengers, Constellations, Leveler, Rescue and Restore. Those those albums that have stuck with so many people, those were essentially written in a barn. And so how how in the world, because and you might explain the, the reference I just made, the egg room and, and the upstairs at the barn. But how in the world does a sound like that, you know, basically a, a metal chord defining sound, come out of a barn in the middle of Amish country. Hmm. Timing. It comes down to timing. We, we were just at the forefront of this era where we were able to listen to what was happening across the country, just enough to take, take what we were hearing and saying, yeah, I think we can do that. We, we do not know how to play our instruments. We have day jobs. We don't have a lot of time, but any excess time that we have, Hey, come over, let's play. And we spent a lot of time together in the egg room, in the three-car garage at the farm, and then finally upstairs where there used to be chickens and I think pigs. Nice. <laughs> and it was an—I mean, it was this massive investment of, of of time, but it was it was done with the motivation of this is what we want to do with our lives. All of our friends are off doing other things, and I, I remember saying no, like you know, there was a girl I liked in high school, and and she would ask me out every once in a while, Hey, you want to go out? And I, I would just be like, Nope, sorry. As soon as I'm done with work, I'm going home, taking my shirt off and sweating for three and a half hours playing drums. I, I was, I was listening to this style of music, you know, during the day if I could. And then as soon as I got home, I would eat, you know, eat dinner and I'd run out and I would just play as much as I could. And so even though 
we were secluded from what seems like the rest of the country in some way. There was this scene here in Lancaster. Um, it was actually pretty special. There were a couple bands here who were doing what we wanted to do. There were a couple drummers here that were playing the way I wanted to play. And there were a couple business-minded, record label-oriented you know, oriented folks here who were like willing to get behind us. And it was really the perfect storm, the perfect time for us to start chapter one of our, our band. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting story how all that came about because with a lot of these bands, it comes to timing. I even heard recently, we, we already mentioned Under Oath, with They're Only Chasing Safety, there was a big timing thing with that album getting as big as it got and you know bringing in a new front man. And you know, some of this stuff just doesn't work out. There, other bands just aren't as lucky. But I feel like the thing about August Burns Red that is kind of definitional even from the beginning of me being a fan of you guys is you guys are all really, really nice guys. Like if you can't tell from this interview so far, you're just really, really nice guys that play super angry music. And and probably the best August Burns Red shirt ever made is where it says angry music, <laughs> angry music for happy people. Yeah. But the thing is, is it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense when you see you guys in person, you see JB walking around in his sandals, you know, the bassist looks like he could do my, my taxes for me. But it's like, what what is the most common, what's the most common misconception that people have about you guys based on the music that you play or the way that you present yourself. Our bassist probably could do your taxes for you, by the way. Um, well, good. I'll, I'll hit him up. <laughs> and JB is sponsored by that flip-flop company from Brazil. I can't remember the name. Of course he is. Uh, but... <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 we're, we're very, we're just very fortunate. You know, we, our, our backgrounds are so different from what we're doing. Um, I don't know. There, there's no reason to be upset about life. I mean, life is, is too, it's incredible. Like we have the best, I'll try to put this simply with some brevity. Our, our worst day on tour is better than most people's best. If you can remember that you're always going to treat people well. Because you're in a position where you get to do what you love for work. And if you love what you do, then you never work a day in your life. And I mean, it's, it's true. And, and there are days where playing drums in a band is not what people think it is. When I'm home, I, I spend a lot of time practicing. And what people don't think about is, like, if you're listening to this and, and you go to work every day, or maybe you're on the way to work or the way home, you have a boss or you have a supervisor or a manager. And you have to... You have to live up to the standards that they set for you, which is oftentimes aggravating, frustrating, stressful. But just imagine for a second that you don't have a boss and you get to do whatever you want. Would you really do what is asked of you by your manager, supervisor, or boss? Would your standard for yourself and your work, would your work ethic subsequently be what it could be and should be? And is because someone's telling you that it needs to be. Would it still be at that level if that person were not there saying, you got to clock in, you got to clock out, and we need all this stuff done? Because, right. because if it's not, then it becomes, it becomes obvious very quickly that you're, you're not going to have a sustainable career being your own boss. You have to be very hard on yourself and always be saying to yourself, I need to be the very best I can be, which is going to require everything. And when you have that mentality about your work, you look at other people around you and they say, man, 
I am so fortunate to be in the position I am. And I respect that everybody else is doing their best or should be or could be at what they're doing. And they probably don't have as ideal of a situation, scenario, income, you know, uh, and, and so instead of looking down your nose at other people around you and in this sort of angry, condescending, cocky way, because you're doing what you want to do and you're so lucky and everything else, you look around at the world around you and you say, I'm working hard. You're working hard. Really, we're not all that different. And in fact, it's, it's just humbling that you are coming to our show as sort of a release or a, a fun date night, you know, with your wife. Um, and I get to be a part of that entertainment. That's so sick. I mean, that's like, that's a dream come true. Um, and, and if anyone in the band starts to act like they, you know, are better than anybody else, we're all pretty tight. I mean, we're going to see it and we're going to call it out and it just doesn't happen. There's no room for it. Well, and you mentioned like when, when people make August Burns Red a part of their life, I think it was Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams back in the day, you know, they talked about, or maybe Lou Gehrig, it doesn't matter. Basically, whenever you're playing a baseball game, you might have a kid in the stands who this is the only baseball game he'll ever go to, and he wants to watch you play. And so if you don't take it seriously, if you're dropping your sticks or, you know, you know, everybody just seems out of sync, it doesn't really work. And there's nothing more disappointing than when you're so excited to go see a band. I'm thinking of one right now, and I'm not going to call them out. But the, it's just obvious that they didn't even really rehearse. They didn't really even try. And you paid your money, and you're just like, man, it was such a, such a huge letdown. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's as good a time as any to bring up how sharp and precise you guys are as a, as a band, even in comparison to other metal bands. I, I remember the first show that I ever went to, first August Burns Red show I ever went to. I'm you know standing to the right, so I'm basically right in front of JB where he normally stands. Mm-hmm. And it was early in the show, and I can't even remember what song it was, but it was the solo. And I remember thinking to myself, "All right, I'm going to watch him because he's going to mess <laughs> up somewhere because it's live and everybody's everybody's having a good time." And this was song two or three. And he nailed the solo, mm-hmm. like completely nailed it. And I just kind of look at my buddy and we both had the same thought at the same time. Like, okay, this band is for real. Like they, they're not messing around, but where, where does that precision come from? Because a lot of bands I'm even thinking about, you know, early the chariot days, it's like grimy is kind of the style. And if you're too precise or too dialed in, it's, it's like not metal or something like that. Mm-hmm. So where does that precision and style come from? Hmm. That is a great question. Well, number one, I would say it's like, okay, we've been talking a lot about the bands that we were listening to. The bands that we aspired to be like were that way. They modeled this sound that was so precise. Bands like Meshuggah oh, yeah. were very instrumental in, in my playing as far as like, that's possible. Like you can actually do that behind the drums. My... My personality is um, I like to do things well, no matter what it is. Um, I, I was working, I'm working with a friend of mine named Buck and he has a landscaping company and we'll go out and we'll mulch and we'll, you know, trim shrubs and we'll mow. And he told me one day, he's like, dude, he's like, you're sort of costing my business money. And it's, it's, it's something, it's a good thing. And it's also a bad thing. I said, what do you mean? I said, I, I'm trying to do my best here. He said, Exactly. He said, everything that you do, you're putting everything into it. And sometimes it's okay to just like do an okay job instead of like an incredible job. Right. I'm like, I I don't really know how to do that. I've never really thought about it, but I'm not sure I can just do something 
half-assed. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can do that. And so we, you know, we kind of laughed about it, but I realized that that's the way that I approach life. And, and actually, so does everyone else in the band. Um, everyone in my band is, is so good at what they do, and they're so diligent and hardworking and careful about every nuance. It's because of that attention to detail, I think, that we are still a band because people can expect a sound on a record and then they go to a show and, and hopefully we can deliver it. If we don't, and if we can, and if we discontinue that style of practice and just putting in the time before we go on tour, then I, I think not only are we letting other people down, we're certainly letting ourselves down and we're not going to be happy doing this anymore. So the bottom line, so number one, the, the style that was, you know, that was represented by the bands we listened to, but number two, and probably more important is just the challenge in it. I think we're all driven by the challenge to constantly raise the bar for ourselves and see if we can meet it. Every record, every rehearsal, every tour, we have to keep raising that bar. If that bar stays the same or drops a little bit, we're all like, ah, I don't I'm not sure about this. And if we're not sure about it, it's not going to work. Yeah. And I think you already mentioned just the precision and the practice it takes. I remember it was either you or JB during an interview, you were talking about, it was the 10 year anniversary uh, tour for either messengers or constellations and how y'all had to go back and relearn these songs that you basically wrote and moved on from because you hadn't played them live. And just the level of precision and musicianship from several years prior was to such a high degree, but you did mention Meshuggah and you do have a YouTube page. So would it be too much to ask for you to do a cover of Bleed by Mashuga and put it on your YouTube? Uh, you don't even have to answer now. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But if you could do that for the world, I think that that would be appropriate. Because I still don't even know how that sound is made uh, by a drum kit from that from that sound. But <laughs> I'm not um, sure either. <laughs> okay. So so one thing, and you, you can maybe just go into this very quickly. The, the biggest thing that I get whenever I try to show people your music or, or any music from, from metal, metalcore, hardcore is they just can't get past the vocals. They can't get past the screaming vocals. They're like, man, you know, the instrumentation sounds really cool. I just can't get past that. And I'm sure Jake doesn't like hearing that, but you know, it's a common thing with, with metal vocals. Do you even understand what they're saying? They sound like a <laughs> demon, you know, it's, it's that level of stuff. So yeah. what would you say to somebody that may have a hard time getting past the screaming vocals in most metal bands? I agree with you. I, I, I really do agree with you. It's, it's, it's hard to listen to. It's another instrument. And you don't have to like the vocals to like the music and to like the lyrics. What tends to happen is, like, do you know how... Um, okay. If, if, you, if you see a girl, if you're a guy and you see a girl, and you're like, wow, that girl is um, very attractive. And then she starts to talk and you start to get to know her and you realize her personality is absolute trash. All of a sudden, her looks are completely deflated and, and you're like, okay, I'm not really attracted to her anymore because of her personality. And sure. on, on the contrary, if her personality rules, then all of a sudden she's like the hottest girl you've ever seen. Right. Okay. It's exactly the same way with this style of music. If you fall in love with the lyrics and the instrumentation – instrumentally you're actually going to fall in love with the vocals because it's it's part of the equation it's it's not at the forefront of what we do and who we are and our sound but it's it's sort of um 
collateral. It's like icing on the cake. And if, if you find that you get to know the personality, then all of a sudden the looks go, go through the roof. You can't even measure it. The same is true with Jake's vocals. His vocals are sick. I mean, he is incredible at what he does. But if you're only listening to that, you're going to miss everything else. And actually everything else is just as important. In fact, we put an incredible amount of time into everything else and the vocals actually come last. Jake is an incredible performer. If you come to see us play, you're going to be entertained just watching him. Screaming, okay, yes, he's doing that and he does it very, very well. But as far as his dancing and his moves and his mic swings and his interaction with the crowd, it's, it's a full-blown show. I mean, the guy's an actor. And so you, you're going to have to bake everything into the cake. But start with the cake and then make your way to the icing because it's going to be impressive in the end. However, I agree with you. If you're listening to this and you listen to the intro music in this podcast or you're going to listen to it afterwards, it's going to throw you off if you've never heard it before. Just spend time with everything else and the vocals will fit into place in the end. Well, yeah, it's it's an acquired taste for some people. Like most people that drink coffee or whiskey or whatever for the first time, they don't just love it. But for some people, they do. But it's kind of getting that acquired taste sort of a thing. So moving on a little bit with uh, some more ABR specific questions. And before I ask this, you can't say Guardians, which is the new album. But from your opinion of the albums that are out there that we've heard, what is the most complete August Burns Red album from top to bottom, in your opinion? Hmm. Yeah, I'm making you pick a favorite kid. All right, so that's basically <laughs> how that goes. You're making me pick a favorite kid. Uh, that's okay. Um, I, it's hard to it's it's hard to do this for one reason: nostalgia. So when we wrote and recorded Constellations, I felt like we were at a time when we were really coming into our own, found our sound, recorded in Florida with Jason Sukoff. Finally, a record that like really completes who we are vocally, instrumentally, lyrically I'd have to say Constellations It's funny you mentioned nostalgia. Um, when people ask me what my favorite August Burns Red album is, it's Messengers. And because I thought Thrill Seeker was amazing. And then Messengers, I was like, what is this? This is something completely different. I, it's still the same band. You know, basically they they inserted a, a new vocalist, but that was a, kind of a seamless transition. Yeah. But even even when y'all released kind of the, the remixed version of Messengers, mm-hmm. nostalgia didn't let me like that very much because I was like, ah, that part sounds way too clean. That sounds too different <laughs> because I was like, that's not my Messengers because yeah. Messengers is the album I want to roll up and stick in my pocket and carry around with me. But it's at, that, it's at that same time that you guys are developing as a band, but it doesn't feel like there are certain bands that they release a new album, but they're just kind of mailing it in 
like the last three or four Motorhead records or the last several, they're just kind of mailing it in. They're, they're living off the old albums. You know, it's just kind of the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so you, so you mentioned Constellations. So do you have a favorite song that you like to play live? Is it is it a song off Constellations? But for you, what's the most fun song that you guys have that you play live? 30 and 7 is definitely the most fun song on that record. listen to this and you're a drummer you understand what i mean or maybe it applies to guitarists and everything else too but uh when i finish a song and it's recorded i finish writing it, it's recorded and i listen back it's like that song is complete on drums it flows well the transitions are really well thought out um it doesn't suck <laughs> right <laughs> and and so 37 is one of those songs another song is provision uh provisions is a song that is I wrote the lyrics to it as well as 37. So it's like I said, it's hard not to bake everything into the cake there as well, but the drums on provisions are, they just sort of wrote themselves and I can't help but integrate that into my decision in which is the most fun song to play. It's like, well, this song's really fun because it is, it feels complete on drums. Um, There are some songs on guardians, which I'm not allowed to, talk about i guess uh but that, we'll, we'll are, get there but you can't you can't say that's your favorite album because we haven't heard it so it's like dadgummit you, you, we don't even know this person <laughs> yeah there are some songs on there that are are fun yeah we'll get there well yeah we'll get there just just give it time we'll do another podcast recording in a year and we'll get to talk about it all right fair enough after we've got to see it played live and everything else well you you kind of maybe alluded to this a little bit um a lot of times when you can kind of look back on albums, you can see things and go, oh man, that was perfect. But you might also see some times where it's like, oh, I wish I could get a do-over. Mm-hmm. I remember watching the Zayo documentary that was like a thousand hours long, but I remember <laughs> them talking. That thing was so long. It's called The the, the Lesser Lights of Heaven and, and there was no music in the background. It was just the guys talking. So it was good and it was crazy all at the same time. But I remember uh, their their lead guitarist and their clean vocalist, Scott, he was talking about if they could do anything over as a band and Zayo has had more people in that band than anybody, than any band I've ever heard of a lot of different, different acts. They would go back and re-record Jesse's drums on the self-titled album, Mm -hmm. because for anyone that knows Zayo knows that album, that album was uh, the drums for that album was recorded on an electronic drum set. And so it's got a very unique sound, but you know, in hindsight, Scott and the rest of the band, they just hate it. Mm -hmm. Like they just hate the sound of that. So for you, if you could get a do-over on a song or an album or even a, a part of a song, is there one that, that you would want to kind of go back and, and switch out what you did? No. Well, why, is, why is that? I, that's, that's kind of surprising. Typically guys are like, ah, you know, I kind of screwed up that part, but, but there's, there's not a single thing you would change. No, there's really not. There's really not. I, I really... I've talked about this with friends before. The the first singer for August Moon's Red, John Hershey, and I have talked about this because he he always he has like a love hate relationship with recording because of this. He'll go and record something, and then not long after, be like, "Ah, oh, I hate that it sounds like that," or "I did that." I I think it's more so my personality, but whatever I did at the time, I did it for a reason, and I spent 
I know that I spent time getting it to where I, I got it to and I recorded it and I was happy with it then. And I might look back and be like, I would do it differently now, but I'm not the kind of person that looks back and says, man, I wish I could change it. Um, and that, that's, that's in every area of my life. I think I, I don't know. It kind of speaks to like regret, you know, is, are there things in your life that you regret? There are things in my life I regret, but mostly because it negatively, the things that I did might've negatively affected other people. I don't regret things that I did that might be perceived as negative that only really affected me because I made the decision at the time. And at the time I felt like it was a good decision. And yeah, we'd go back and do it differently now, but I did it for a reason. And I, and subsequently I, I know that I invested time into that decision, into writing that drum part. And so I can rest in the fact that, okay, that's, that's good enough for me, even though that drum part sounds like crap. <laughs> even well, though that part sucks. Yeah. Well, it, it's cool because it's you, you produce it, you live with the results, you move on. And it's good to kind of have that mindset because you are, it's not like you're living with this mindset like, oh, that's the past. And then your future is still kind of bleak and random. You do everything so precisely. So that, that makes perfect sense. So um, the thing with, with your band is not only do you guys spread you know, the gift of metal all across the world, but you also spread Christmas cheer. So if anybody knows anything about August Burns Red, it's that y'all have some of the most brutal Christmas music that's ever been created. was it to even record a Christmas song? Cause I think the first Christmas song y'all recorded was Carol of bells mm-hmm. and that's kind of made its way around the world. I think even the drum line at Disneyland was playing mm-hmm. y'all's version of Carol of bells, but you know, what, what was the impetus behind recording Christmas music and continuing to release Christmas music essentially every year? Yeah. It's, it's a good question. The, the Christmas stuff has been really fun for us and it has entered in a, a new crowd, a new you know audience in that, okay, there's not screaming, and oh, I love Christmas music, and this sort of sounds like Trans-Siberian Orchestra, so I'll listen to it. Um, the, the, the origins of it go all the way back to CI Records, which is our first record label here in Lancaster. They, they had us play a Christmas show every year, and we would play August Burns Red songs. One year, JB said, why don't we cover a Christmas song for our Christmas show? We wrote our rendition of it, played it, had a lot of fun. And I think the next year we were going into the studio with two Madsen in Tennessee to record messengers because we were in the studio already, because we had a good budget from solid state. We prepared Carol, the bells to be recorded um, as like a B side, you know, it wasn't something for a record. It was just like, we're going to get this recorded so that we have it. We recorded it, continued to play it at our Christmas shows and then realized we should probably do another Christmas song, put a couple more together and eventually did the record. 
So really it's, it was created from this place of like, okay, we have this Christmas show every year. We should probably play a Christmas song. When we saw how people reacted to the Christmas songs, we're like, okay, this is, this is something that we should continue to do. And we've done ever since, you know, we try to do a new Christmas song every year. It's been fun every year. You kind of wonder, okay, which one are they going to do? I think the most surprising one y'all done recently was the Home Alone, uh, like soundtrack or theme music. <laughs> I was like, because that is such a seminal uh, work for Christmas, but you don't normally think of that soundtrack as being the definition of Christmas song or something like that. Yeah. So that was really cool yeah. to see. Another thing that's definitional about you guys, in addition to the fact that you create all this great music, the the Christmas music and everything else, is you guys are road warriors. In, in the biggest sense of the word, you guys are always on tour. You've always got an upcoming nat, you know, tour inside the States and also internationally. I wish y'all would come to Oklahoma a little bit more, but you know, we'll work on you. We'll work on that a little bit like that. But, but for you guys, or maybe for you as an individual, you mentioned the worst day on the road is basically like someone else's best day. But what are the best parts about being on the road so much and kind of what are the worst parts of that? Well, obviously the worst parts are being away from home. Uh, we're, we're all homebodies, I would say at this point, we're all in our thirties, uh, lower thirties, Brent and JB have families, um, married, they each have kids, uh, one kid, one boy each actually. And so their, so their wives are really the real, you know, the real warriors here. We get to go out and have fun. Um, obviously my, my farm's sort of a tough thing to leave behind and my family and, um, but once we leave, it's it's pretty easy to shift into that gear and and go to work. Um, the best thing about tour is, oh, hands down, are the interactions with with people. I play drums in the band. I, I sit behind the kit. I don't really get to see the crowd too much. But every night after the show, Jake and I hop down in between the barricade and the stage, and we we just talk to kids, take pictures, sign autographs, act dumb, you know, uh, whatever a kid wants to do, you know, Hey, I want to pray with you. I'm going through this or, Hey, can we get a selfie or, Hey, can you record a video for my friend? He's in the military. He's been deployed. I really miss him. Um, Hey, can you sign my cast? Like there's, there's just endless stories from the barricade. I should write a book uh, you know, about it. In fact, a lot of people probably should because people are really amazing. I, I was uh, listening to the radio the other day and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Kyle. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, American sniper. His, his wife just wrote a book that I want to read called American spirit. And I was like, I wonder what this is about. And she's like, well, this book is about all the amazing people in our country. And so too often we hear about the pessimism and the negativity and just how trash people are. And it's, it's true. There's a lot of terrible people out there, but not a whole lot compared to um, the amazing, just the amazing kids and adults and challenges that have been overcome and stories that have been told. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love that stuff. And, and, and when we're done playing, you know, if, if I have a really bad show and I, I play poorly, I hop down there and it's just always amazing, dude, how none of that stuff matters because this kid's coming from work where, you know, he's working fast food and this is like the night he's been looking forward to for so long. He gets to just come out, bang his head, buy a t-shirt, take a picture, and he's, he's just like lit up about it. I'm like, how in the world do I get to be, you know, a part of this kid's, you know, entertainment at, at the center of like what he wants to do on a Thursday night, you know, <laughs> in Tulsa. Um, and so when I go back on the bus at the end of the night, 
put my show clothes away. I hop on the bus, sit down and um, have a good time with the band and then go to bed. And it's just like, wow, that was an amazing day. And really when I look back, it's because of those kids, the shows can be good. The shows can be bad. The grand balance in all of it is, is the fact that this kid came, you know, came to the show and he's driving home talking about how much fun he had. And, um, that's, that's a huge thing for me. The, the, the fact that we get to positively affect, hopefully, as many people as possible with our lyrics and our music. Well, and that those stories never get old, Matt. It's it's I just two days ago I had a guy, a stranger, come up to me and say, you know, he appreciated the, me for the. He said thank you for the podcast and all those different things. And he's like, your podcast got me through my deployment. Aww. And I just I kind of looked at the guy almost like what. Like I'm, I'm, I sometimes record in my underwear. What are you talking about? Like, like I, I, I did it. I, you know, I did a thing that, that you appreciated that much. So those stories have to be, have to be great. So I would love if that was turned into a, a book or a little mini documentary, but to kind of put a bow on, on the August Burns Red stuff, and then we'll, we'll move on to some more general music stuff and then talk about your faith. And then the new mm-hmm. album, August Burns Red was formed back in 2003. I mean, we're coming up on 20 years as a band. I mean, we're we're closer to that than we are farther farther away. Mm-hmm. And so kind of a two-part question. Could you have ever imagined that you'd be playing this style of music in a band like this for this long and outside of, of the Griner Farm, you know, what does mm-hmm. life look like for you after ABR? Is there any, is, is there even any inkling of what that looks like at this point? It's mm, a good question. Uh, number one, honestly, Yes. And no, however you want to phrase it. I, I, I did not, I did not, I'll put it this way. I'm surprised that we're still a band, but I never in the same notion anticipated it ending. I started the band. We started the band. We, we, we've been touring for, for so long, as you said, but there's never this thought in the back of my mind that's like, oh boy, it's it's going to end soon, or oh boy, you know, what am I going to do when it's over? I have this view of the band, which is that it's just going to keep going and going and going. And obviously, there's some naivety to that because it's really out of our control in a lot of ways. The one thing that is in our control, and the thing that would break this band up, and perhaps the only thing that would really end it, is implosion if we as a band as band members decide that we don't get along with each other anymore we don't want to do this anymore and what i do know is that those two things will never happen we've never been closer and all of us collectively don't want to do anything else in comparison to what we're doing this is exactly what we want to be doing and so i am surprised i mean it's it's crazy like you said we're close to 20 years but in the same way, it's like, I just, I don't really think about the fact that it's going to end, could end, will end. It's going to have to, because I have to play double bass to be in this band and my legs <laughs> right. aren't going to be able to keep up forever. So it's, you know, it's, it's why I keep practicing. <laughs> and you know what? Everybody's replaceable. So if, if, if I get to the point where I'm like, dude, I can't play this style music anymore, then I give everyone in the band full permission to be like, all right, we need some young gun. Let's, let's go. Let's do this. You know, we got bills to pay. <laughs> um, and then in reply to your, your second question, what, what would I do afterwards? Um, I think I'd really like to teach. 
Uh, I enjoy teaching drum lessons. I enjoy, I enjoy helping other people. If, if, if what I'm doing is just for my own gain, or I'm just sort of like going to work and not really making an impact on somebody else's life. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. Even just one is, is enough. Um, I, I feel like I'll be satisfied, but also I, I have to be playing drums. Um, if I go work really hard for my buddy doing landscaping or on the farm, I work a 10 hour day, I come home and I don't play drums. I should feel like I had a productive day. I should feel like I, I can sit down and enjoy myself and relax. And I just can't. If on the other hand, I play drums for three hours, I can do nothing the rest of the day and I'm going to feel great. It's like drums have to be a part of my day because when I'm sitting down playing, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And actually it's funny, if you're listening to this, maybe you can relate to it. Maybe you can't to my point. I thought everybody had something like that. I thought that everybody had something that when they do it, they know they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And it wasn't until like, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, it's been a little while, but I realized that that's certainly not the case. And when I realized it's not the case, it made me appreciate what I do even more because it's like, wow, not everybody has this thing that when they're doing it, it's not to sound hippie hoppy, but like out of body experience, the, the closest thing to that. I'm not thinking about anything else. This is the only thing that matters. And my time is being used to the, the fullest extent of what it could be. And so whatever I'm doing after this band, I will be playing drums maybe for my church, you know, or I'll be teaching or something. Um, but that will be a part of it. Cool. Well, man, I, I appreciate that answer. That's a great answer. And so we're going to transition a little bit now into just maybe music overall. And you've already mentioned a lot of bands that have had an influence on you, Extol, Meshuggah. But today, which bands or artists or even genres of music influence you and in your drumming? For me, in metal, it's the stuff I used to listen to. It really hasn't changed. I went back and listened to On Earth. Have you ever listened to uh, On Earth, The Oncoming Storm? Yeah, of course. That That's, I mean, the Dude. first concert I went to was Under Oath, Dead Poetic, Unearth, and Zayo down wow, in Dallas. Sick. You saw Dead yeah. Poetic. Wow. Yeah, that was my very, very first show I ever went to. Who was the standout band at that show? Well, what's funny is the standout band was actually unearthed because the guitarist uh, lifted up his guitar and on the back of his guitar, it said, eat a dick on it. <laughs> and um, I thought it was a Christian show Buzz, and yeah. like our, our chaperones that were there with us were mortified. They were ready. <laughs> they were ready to, they were ready to leave. And Zale was the headliner. And I was like, no, we came all this way. This is my first concert. I, I'm not going to do what that guitarist says to do. Right. I want to listen to this band. So, but unearthed was the band that surprised me the most and this was under oath uh pre the new singer this was dallas as as the the singer of under oath so this was the old 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 lineup but yeah i mean that that was an incredible first show but what, what were you saying about unearth yeah so unearth the oncoming storm when i go back and listen to that record which i just did two weeks ago um i had like a two and a half hour drive i was I was driving with my buddy Jeremy and we were just kind of going down that rabbit. I'm sure you've done that where you were just like, Oh yeah, I want to go back and listen to that record by beloved, right. you know, that I used to love. And so then that leads you into like, Oh, I want to hear stretch Armstrong or, and so we just kept going down. We ended up in Unearth, and it was like, dude, this song is so sick. Track three on, on the oncoming storm, uh, where it starts off with those hard chords and that huge breakdown. So, so when I hear drumming parts like that on those records, 
really just, it's kind of one and the same. I, I go back and listen to it and that's what's still influencing me. I haven't really changed all that much. Uh, I will say uh, I was out in California a couple weeks ago for a project with Zildjian and I got to meet Matt Garska of Animals as Leaders. And I've been, I've been studying a lot of his curriculum. I, I really enjoy, I, I don't listen to Animals as Leaders, but I like his drumming and that's usually what happens. I don't have to love the band. I just have to love the drummer. <laughs> right. Well, that band yeah. is ridiculous. That's a three piece. Yeah. And when you listen to that band, it doesn't make sense that no, that, that number of sounds are coming out. Right. But it, that that's really cool. Hey, it's just interesting hearing because I kind of go back to my old music and am I like, am I like an old fuddy duddy? I'd rather go back and listen <laughs> to, I'd go back and listen to the beloved album or, or yeah, something like too. that, as opposed to trying to figure out what the scene kids are into me today. Too. It's like, I don't, I don't really care. I know. Um, I, that's exactly how I am too. If I'm listening to new music, it's uh Hillsong worship, Hillsong live. Um, and see last night I was listening to as cities burn, which is still going back. Um, I was listening. I like listening to Adele. Uh, so really nothing inside the metal genre. I really like listening to worship music, not just because of the fact that it's, you know, lyrically in line with what I believe, but just, I like the music. I legitimately really like the production value. I like the drum parts. I like the builds. I think it's some of the most beautiful music. Um, and I, I've been that way for a couple of years now. I don't really listen to music a whole lot. Actually, I listen to a lot of what we're doing here, which is podcasts. I listen to Ben Shapiro. Uh, I listen to Joe Rogan. Uh, I like listening to commentary between a really good guest and a really good host and just learning about people and what's going on in the world. That That's what interests me more. Um, now, if you're listening to this, maybe you can relate to this too, but it's like as a drummer, when I listen to music, I analyze it. So I need a break from that. If I'm driving, I'll listen to the radio and I'll turn it up. And it doesn't matter if it's country or pop. I enjoy it because I, I'm not going to break it down too much. Gotcha. Okay. I, well, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of different genres. Are there any genres like as a whole that you just, you, you can't stand it? Like this particular genre, there's no redeeming qualities. Get it <laughs> out of my speakers. I don't want it. Are there any of those genres for you? Yeah, like the the new country kind of bothers me because it's just so dumb it's kind of the douche the douchebag country the the, like yeah yeah Yeah. that's a good way to put it it's it's exactly what it is it's just dumb dude it's like musically i could care less if it's simple i like simple music it's the lyrics that just blow my mind it's like i don't like that people think like that and and here's here's what i don't like i don't like when someone has the authority over someone else and uses that authority and power and influence to construct this train of thought that's just trash and so many times it's just trash people people are buying into it you're in the studio singing these words that don't mean a lot to you and they're catchy and it's going to sell a bunch of records and to you you go home and you don't live your life that way but what you don't realize is a lot of people listening will right because they think it's gospel and they're going to be like oh okay this guy who's one of my favorite singers or artists is singing this song i love that song he thinks that I'm going to think it too. And it's like, no, you can't treat a woman like that. Like, no, that's not what life's about. You can't live your life like that. 
Well, and that's why it's hard for me, even like with, with a lot of, with a lot of hip hop, like I get lost in the beat. Cause I'll, I'll do like striking training or Muay Thai or something like that. And there's just something about that flow yeah. of the music that kind of gets you going. But then when you look at it lyrically, uh, most of it is absolutely reprehensible. But <laughs> the, the thing about it you even mentioned is, well, you Go mentioned this too, it. like simplicity is so important. Like, okay, if you look at someone like Johnny Cash and you look at his American recordings, so those were like the last five albums that were released before he died. That was basically his voice in a guitar. And, you know, it was just him telling a story in, in a way that he he did. And so you don't have to make these big production type things to make great music. So one thing about, about you guys is uh, how I discovered August Burns Red, uh, funny enough, is on purevolume.com. So some of you guys might actually remember P- Pure Volume. That was, you know, this site that would basically rank order these bands. You could listen to the band right there from the website. But for you guys, you've been in this band and in this industry long enough that you've seen the movement from CDs to mainly digital to now it's like, okay, digital. And if you're really cool, you'll buy the vinyl. And so it's like, you, you've seen the whole gamut. What has that been like being in the industry for this long and kind of seeing that transition? I miss CDs. <laughs> I'm actually buying a new truck today, not a new truck, a used truck. And it has a CD player. And it was like the first thing that made me excited about a new vehicle was like, Oh yes, I finally get to have an old CD player in a new truck. <laughs> um, because I like just the, the physical copy. Um, I love Spotify. I just, I signed up for premium last year and I love it. It's incredible. I get to listen to whatever I want, whenever I want. Um, it's important to just go with the flow on this stuff as a band. You know, you, you can't, you can't hate on what's, on where the market's going and where things are trending, you have to learn how to uh, grow with it instead of fight against it. And it's hard because we don't make money in the way that we used to. We have to find new ways to do it. CDs don't really sell. You're not going to make a whole bunch of money on royalties. So you have to tour a lot. Uh, But the upside is that a lot more people are going to listen to your band potentially than you know, the, the, the scope of who was listening to you before in the past, because it's right. just so much more accessible. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you can just so easily just pop on your phone within seconds, listen to any song I've ever played drums on with August Prince Red. That's insane. And part of me loves it. You know, it's, that's cool. Um, and then a part of me is just like, wow, things are, things have really evolved and actually very, very quickly. So it's been it's been fun. I, I don't have a negative view of it. Um, we we still actually sell a lot of vinyls, like you said. You know, we have vinyls for every record, and we have a bunch of different versions, you know, limited color runs, styles. Um, but predominantly, we're recording music to be streamed in the end. Well, and the cool thing about what you said is, yes, you can ex- access bands. I mean, there are albums that I have that I've listened to over and over and over for bands that I, I never would have spent nine ninety nine on on their album because mm-hmm. it would have been too much of a risk. I mean, the single didn't do the rest of the album justice, justice. and so I feel like it, it it has helped a little bit. But I do kind of feel bad for the bands on the other side. But mm-hmm. to kind of wrap up this uh, little section on just generalized music, who is your favorite drummer of all time and why? Ooh. Yep, and and this one I'm not gonna let you name two or three. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire. You get you get one, yeah, you get one. drummer who I already called you my favorite. Dang it! So you gotta get somebody else. Yeah, this one's pretty easy. Blake Richardson between the bird and me. Yeah, that's a hard. It's hard to go against him. So so why why is he your favorite? His creativity, 
I don't really care how fast you are. I don't care what genre you're playing. If you're creative, then you have something special. And that dude's special. There's a lot of special drummers out there, but that guy's special. And oh, on top of that, he's really just an amazing dude. Humble and uh, considerate. Like humble in the sense that he thinks about other people and looks at other people and champions other people and, and considerate in, in like the sense that when, when you get together and hang out with him, he's, he does not talk about himself. He's, he's going to look out for other people. He's going to have fun. You know, there's a lot more to life than drums. I love that about him. It's, it's very refreshing because when he gets behind the kit, you're just like, what? That guy is doing that? Like I, I would have never guessed. I love that. When even the Colors album is still one of the one of the greatest albums that I've ever heard from any band, mm-hmm. um, and they've they've gotten more experimental as time has gone on, but that that's a great album to come back to. So one of the one of the big reasons why I wanted to bring you on this podcast because again this is a, a men's ministry podcast. We we talk a lot about different things that are of interest to men. Um, but I remember for growing up, you know, we talked a lot about growing up in the scene, and so. Now, looking back as a 33-year-old adult, some of those early Solid State and Tooth and Nail bands, we all thought that they were Christian bands, right? And so in, in hindsight, you go back to bands like Embodiment or Under Oath or, or Zeo and even even like a non-Solid State band like Azalea Dying and Tim's had his own problems. Um, but a lot of people say even August Burns Red is a Christian band, quote unquote. I'm using air quotes over here. And I've said that to people because when they're listening to to the, the music, they're like, oh, this is satanic. It's like, it's actually not. But you guys as a band, as a whole, you don't ascribe to that label. Um, you said that you, you've said before that your personal goal initially for August Burns Red is that it would be a ministry to something that could spread the gospel. But you've had to kind of let that go over the years. But you're still what I, you know, you and Jake are the most outspoken members of August Burns Red when it comes to your faith. But there was a, a story uh, that I heard on, on a podcast interview back in, it would have been 2012. You guys were playing a show in Sydney, Australia. And, you know, one of the band members brought a, you know, Joseph Coney sign on, mm-hmm. on stage. It was kind of the Invisible Children era. Mm-hmm. And you guys got booed mercilessly. Mm-hmm. And this led to kind of a huge discussion by the band, kind of a define the relationship discussion. Like, Hey, what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing as a band? And it almost led, led to the band breaking up, but y'all had some great discussions, but what y'all ultimately decided is that, that the point of the band was not to preach the gospel or be evangelical. And so I want you to kind of take us back to that time. Cause I remember listening to that and being very, very disappointed and thinking, Oh, great. August Burns Red is just the latest mm-hmm. in a line of these bands that took our money at the Christian festivals <laughs> and, you know, took my money at the Christian bookstore, but then they're not actually gospel centered, which is an unfair position, but it is something that a lot of guys have thought about. So kind of take us through what the decision was to do that with the band. Yeah, it's great. <clears throat> that was a tumultuous time. As I, I'm sitting here listening to you very accurately describe what happened. I mean, that's it. It's exactly what happened. The time in which it happened, we had grown apart as band members. Jake and I were sort of probably looking down our nose at the other guys saying, I, I can't believe we were that and now we're this. Um, as you said, the Coney worldwide campaign was in full effect and I wanted to be a part of it. I made this sign, walked down to the Sydney opera house, took a picture, walked back, put the poster somewhere backstage. Jake, without really talking about it, walked out, held it up. We got booed. We ended up backstage. We don't get booed. We got booed and everyone 
felt the dagger, it was time for the elephant in the room to, to be addressed. And that's exactly what happened. And of course, just like any other argument, there's always something deeper going on. So it's like, why did you hold the Coney sign up? We're not all on board with this. Well, what's wrong with that? You know, and then you just sort of unravel everything that has been building. You spend nine months out of the year with these guys. Spend more time with them than you do your family, your best friends. And you're always in close quarters. And oftentimes that can make a situation that that seems petty um, compound into this mountain that you, you can't you can't for the life you figure out how to even begin to climb. That's what happened. Years and years of being together and just these little, you know, selfish, dumb motives that I had conflicted and rubbed up against and, you know, battled with somebody else's uh, motivation for doing the band. And and on that, on that night in Sydney, we, we talked about it and, uh, what what we figured out is, as you said, our goal is no longer to be um, an evangelical, preach the gospel, spread the good news, tell everyone about Jesus band. It's to be a professional band that spreads a positive message. And once I realized walking away from that meeting that we were a business and we were no longer a ministry centered band at our core, I was devastated. I went back to the hotel with Jake. And we're just like standing outside of the balcony of this hotel in Sydney. And unfortunate thing about religion is that it builds walls. We had built a wall and we were staring at that wall saying, well, that wall just got even bigger. Are we going to fly home tomorrow and call it quits? Or are we going to really work on ourselves here? And look at this situation as an opportunity, not a disappointment. And so we, we, we had to unravel a lot of junk, you know, I had a lot of junk and Jake had a lot of junk to work through. And we ended up like sticking with the tour and working through it. And it was awkward and terrible and strange. And we got home and, um, over the next couple years, that was 2012, I would say over the next three years, maybe four years, we started to look at each other with respect. We started to look at each other and say, you know what? We don't agree about um, faith or worldviews or you know values from A to Z. But actually, I, I really respect the way you live your life because it's consistent with what you're saying. And wait a second. You're actually more consistent than people in my church are with how they live their lives. So actually, I've come to respect you more than I do them even though we don't agree. And actually, in spite of the fact that we don't agree, I, I like you a lot. Um, what, what tends to happen, like in the, the home I was raised in, when we were watching NASCAR, which we did on Sundays, and Dale Jarrett won, I was sitting on the edge of my seat with my mom waiting for him to give thanks to God. It was like, please, Dale, say it. Please say this is for Jesus. Please say it. Please say it. It's in our human nature to see in someone that we aspire to be or someone that we look up to, to, to see some semblance of what we hope that we would do. Right. If I was in that position, I would do that too. I would stand up and I would do that. And the, 
the feeling that I had in 2012 was like, we, I wanted to be that person that stood on a stage and was like, this is for God. This is for God. It's always been for God. It's always going to be for God. But really when you boiled it down, it wasn't, it wasn't. There were conversations that were, but our primary goal as a band was to be a business and to do what we did very well. And maybe on a personal level, I had that ministry ambition more than everybody else, more than you know, some of the other guys, but it was personal to me as a relationship with God should be. And of course there are facets of like preaching the gospel, but it starts with that, that relationship that when the door is closed and no one's watching, no one's listening, who are you really? What kind of relationship do you really have with God? Because if that's strong that you can go out into the world and you don't even need to mention God, for people to look at your life and say, well, I'm not exactly sure what that guy stands for, but whatever it is, it is real to him. It's personal to him. He knows that it's real. He knows whoever he's in a relationship with, and he knows who he is as a result of it. So here's what I realized in 2012 with that whole debacle. <laughs> um, I realized I was laying in bed one night, not long after that, Booing session for Coney, you know, and I, 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 God hasn't, I don't know that God's ever spoken to me, but I, I get this sense of him putting something in my head and in my heart. And this is the sense that he gave me. He said, I would much rather you call your band a business. And when we meet or when, when I talk to you again, I ask you, why didn't you Call yourself a Christian band. You could have. You certainly helped people lead them towards, you know, towards me. And you didn't. Why did you just call yourself a business? And me just explain, well, it, you know, collectively was what it was. Just sort of explain the situation. I would rather err on the side of safety than say, then hear from God, how dare you use my name for your benefit? And yet you did, and you capitalized on it, and really at the heart of what you were doing was this disingenuous motive to use me to look a certain way, smoke and mirrors, facade, and, and in the end, it's just trash. Never, ever, ever, ever does anyone want to put themselves in a situation where God is, is saying, how dare you? That's the situation we were probably in. And so I would rather stand before God one day knowing that, yeah, we could have called ourselves a Christian band, but who cares? What is a Christian band? I mean, we're playing breakdowns and we're playing fast rhythms and we're screaming. It's, it's, it's music. It's just, it's music. It's, it can be positive. It can be negative. It can be pointing people to God. It can be pointing people away from God, but it is really simply put music. What happens off stage in those personal interactions that no one's ever going to know about those are the types of situations that could be considered a church-like setting. And, it, and they happen every single night. And in fact, they happen more than they ever have before since that defining moment. That moment actually helped focus me in on what's really important in a genuine way, a meaningful way, rather than detract from what I thought that I wanted for the band. When I think you're hitting on something, well, first of all, thank you for for going into such detail there. That was that was certainly more than than what I was expecting, and and very very 
appropriate that that you went that far on that question. But for most people, it's do they introduce themselves since we're already picking on accountants? Uh, you know, <laughs> do they introduce themselves as as an accountant or as a Christian accountant? Do I introduce myself as a podcaster or a Christian podcaster? And some of that you kind of just get left in semantics. You kind of get stuck in the semantic world. But at the end of the day, we we were called to to work as to the glory of God in everything that mm. we do, whether we're landscaping or whether that you know we're touring and playing a show in front of 50,000 people in Germany. Mm. And so that that's that's a, a different level for that that for most people that they maybe weren't expecting to go, but I think that that's really important that we covered mm-hmm. that. Now, on this part, this is where you and I are probably going to disagree a mm-hmm. little bit, but I'm open. I'm open to have my mind mm-hmm. changed, okay? Me personally, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, I cannot stand modern worship mm-hmm. music. I cannot stand it. I've got my pockets. I've got my Shane and Chains. I've got my few Phil Wickham songs. I got a few things that I can deal yeah. with. But my trigger my trigger words are Hillsong, Hillsong Alive, and Hillsong United. And it's just kind of like, um, and but the thing is, is, is you kind of like melted part of my brain a few years ago because you did a drum cover of uh, What a Beautiful Name by Hillsong. And guys, I'll, I'll make sure that you have a, a link to that in the show notes so that you can check it out. But for me, that genre of music is so troublesome mm-hmm. because for me, most of the instrumentation is very, very mm-hmm. basic. It's very, very boring. Um, but even worse, because I'm very sensitive to things about, you know, men, because I feel like a lot of men feel like when they're at church, they're like, okay, I can either be a good Christian mm-hmm. or I can be a man because I can't be both. And even with a lot of the musical content, the the lyrical content, I feel like is especially egregious mm-hmm. because I feel like it's almost homoerotic. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about Jesus, like he's our boyfriend. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, no. That's the lion of mm-hmm. Judah, right? Like that, that is, that is grace and truth personified. Like, and we're talking about him, like, he's just like this cutesy guy that we go and visit a few, a few times mm-hmm. a week. And so for a guy like me and, and, and Matt, you're talking, you're about to talk to a bunch of guys that are just like mm-hmm. me, that they go to church, they're sitting there during worship and they just don't get it. They don't get how people are putting their hands up. They don't get how people are praising the the creator of everything in, in this way. Help me and help my listeners kind of understand modern worship music for what it is or maybe what it could be. Are there things that you wish you could change? Cause you've already kind of put yourself in Hillsong mm-hmm. camp, so you can't back out now, <laughs> but you know, help, uh, help us understand. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I am in your court 100% of the way. I can't stand when people use God. I mean, we just got done talking about this. It's like, right, how, right. how dare you affiliate yourself with God in your personal crappy just like watered down endeavors it's got to be good dude everything you do has got to be good to start with as a christian and then if you're going to put god's name in it it better be good but here's the thing there there is an instagram account which i'm not going to mention um the only reason i'm bringing it up is because it really pisses me off when Christians laugh at other Christians when Christians make fun of other Christians who are volunteering their time to enter into a place of worship with God. I mean, worship is such an important and personal part of being a Christian. And I couldn't be with you more. It's like we are worshiping the God of the world. This is not someone that you you can look at and say, boy, he's safe. You know, like C.S. Lewis talks about in Narnia. It's like when Diggory asked um, 
forget who he's talking to, but he's like, is, is he safe? He's talking about asthma. Is he safe? And the response is safe. No, but he's good. And that's, that's right. exactly how our approach should be to God. This all in wonder, this, how can it be that the God of the world could love me? And it, it really upsets me when I see people mock other Christians who have a genuine approach to their, in their worship to God. Here's the thing. A lot of Christian music is terrible. You don't have to like Hillsong, musically speaking. You don't even have to like what they're saying. But what's troubling to me is this idea of a church of 100 people with very few volunteers and even fewer you know, musicians, and they need a worship band. So they're going to pull whoever they can. They're going to put them on stage, and they're going to lead worship. This Instagram account takes videos from these performances and puts them online and then mocks them. And it's like, how dare you mock someone who is giving all of themselves, pouring their heart into devotion to a God that they love and that loves them when God is, is not going to look at them bringing their utmost and saying it's not enough. It's a, pe- it's a church of 100 people. There's only probably two drummers in the whole place and the one drummer's only been playing for six years. He's going to mess up. He's not going to play all that well. Do you think God sees those mistakes and says, ah, I'm not really sure about that. So obviously, and you know this as well as me, the, 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 the heart behind worship, the real purpose behind it is, is, is deeper than what you hear and what you see. And music that is subpar and watered down, if it's done in the capacity that that's, that's the very best that they could do, then it's more than enough. But if, on the other hand, there's this idea that it's a business, it's a big business, there's a lot of money, and you're capitalizing on the fact that your relationship with God is advancing your career, and you're just sort of, like you said earlier, like you're, I forgot what you said, um, you're, you're just mailing it in. Right. You know? so, so much of Christian worship and Christian music, is just, you just sort of mailing it in, and you know people are going to listen. That's trash, complete trash. Complete trash. I know a couple of the guys in Hillsong. They come out to our shows. I expected them to talk about worship the way that you would expect them to talk about worship. Like, ah, it kind of sucks. And, you know, ha, 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 Christians and ha, 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 Christian music. But, you know, we're really, you know, banking in on this. They're not like that at all. These dudes love God. And I've never, I've never met people who have, like, such a genuine interest in creating um, music to help people find God and talk to God and sing to God. I would prefer listening to hymns. I was just talking about this yesterday because they were wordsmiths and oftentimes hymns were written out of this place of like desperation. And we've lost that a little bit. Uh, the unfortunate thing about worship music, which I agree with you on, is like you're everyone's singing about one thing. How many times can you sing about one thing or one person in every other genre of music that anomaly doesn't exist. There's any number of things to write about, but in Christianity, everyone's writing about the same person. And so there's this deviation from what's actually important, which is worshiping God. It's not about you. It's not about your feelings. It's not about how you look. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you're wearing. It's about God. That's all it's about. And singing praise to God, even when you're low, even when you're high, especially when you're high, and unfortunately, 
because it's such a big business, it's just rolling over and over and over and over. And it's giving a terrible name to Christianity. And that is the part that really pisses me off. Where I will stand in and defend Christianity is where there are people in 100 capacity churches who are giving it everything they got, even though it sounds pretty terrible. But at the end of the day, if God looks at a heart, he's certainly not looking at how they're you know, executing a pretty simple worship song. In the end, he's getting what he wants from us, which is this semblance of humility and this sort of laying down of your life and saying, I can't do this on my own. It's you. It's all about you. And I think those big bands that you're talking about, they're going to have to stand accountable. I'm glad I'm not in that position because the Bible talks about how someone in a place of authority who's leading in a way that's unjust or, 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 you know, disingenuous is going to be high or is going to be held to a higher standard. And that's 100% true. Well, I appreciate your perspective on that because obviously it's a very informed perspective. And you said a few things there that that I'll definitely need to chew on. But yeah, I'm with you whenever people are, are critical of, of bands in their area. And even me, like at the church I go to, sometimes I'll just kind of roll my eyes like, man, this is me too, dude. This is so bad. But, me too. you know, but it's 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 a it's a hard issue. You know, that's a that's a Christianism. It's a hard issue. But like it is like, for me where it's just where it's just like what these people, are, they literally are giving the extent of their musicianship to the song that they're doing and whether I like it or not, is fine. Because here's the thing is if y'all were the worship band at my church, there would be 12 people in that church. And like, we'd all have face, we'd all have face tattoos and like nobody would understand. And so like, I, I get it. Like there, there's a time and place for all of that. But before we get into talking about the new album, which I'm very excited to get into, you said before in interviews that you believe that God gave you the gift of playing drums so that you could give it away. What do you mean by that? Did I say that? <laughs> yeah, you got, you've said that multiple times, yeah. so you can't you can't sneak out okay. on, the, on the quote can't, there. Can't backpedal. Well, this this idea of drumming is is very new to my family. I mean, no one else in my family plays. It just appeared out of nowhere. Obviously, it's it's something that as a Christian, I believe I can uh, work with and hone and mold into. Um, Something that's bigger than me. I mean, if you look at the band, there's no way, there's no way in hell that five guys from Mannheim, Pennsylvania should be able to reach six continents and 40 some countries and be a band for 17 years. Yeah, okay, there's a way. There's a way. Hard work and, you know, writing good songs and, and everything. But the thing is, when you, when you uncover that first layer of top stool and you look what's underneath of it, there's something else going on. There's something else going on and you have to look for it. It doesn't just show its face and it's, it's not as obvious as like, oh yeah, they're hardworking and oh yeah, they, they've made good decisions. Yeah, that's true. But there's a master plan and somehow my drumming fits into that plan in that this, this instrument is so special and important to me. If this band were not here, I would probably still be playing, but what has happened as a result of what I believe is this master plan is so much bigger than me just hitting, hitting drums and cymbals with sticks. You know, it's, it's so much bigger than, than writing a bunch of songs on a farm. Um, it's, it's God using what, what he's made for his benefit and for the, the benefit of those that he loves. Um, God loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And he, he really doesn't have to. He really shouldn't. We certainly do not deserve it, and yet he still does. And 
he uses any number of things, as you said, a, a CPA or a podcaster. I mean, these these are what he gives us these skills and these you know occupations that seem normal and seem standard uh, are are the areas in which he uses us the most to impact other people. Not because we have God on our our lips every turn, but it's just like no, you're doing your job really well. And what's behind that? What's what's behind that that sense of you know diligence and and integrity? Oh wait, there's more. There's more to your character. What else? Oh, okay. So you keep digging and digging and digging and digging and digging. Um, I believe God's given me this for a much bigger reason than just for me to play drums in my basement or on the farm. Um, going on tours is, is is proof of that when I talk to people after shows. Well, I would agree. And, and I'm glad uh, that God gave you that gift and that you're giving it to to all of us and to everybody else. Uh, we're certainly better for it. But the whole reason you're here today, again, is because a new album is coming out. The ninth full-length studio album is going to be released on April 3rd. It's called Guardians. You can pre-order it now. Again, guys, that link is in the description. But you've already released the first single. It's called Defender. song i mean it, it's a song with with two breakdowns and i know some people don't like counting breakdowns i do because they're awesome and so it's got two breakdowns <laughs> is it possible is it possible you guys are getting heavier as you get older absolutely <laughs> well, like, that, that doesn't make any sense you're supposed to be chilling out you're supposed to like you know do more mellow stuff but it, like it seems like you're ramping it up a little bit dude we've we've uh we've been through some stuff man you got to write about it take out your aggression you know but you're so you're so nice, like so. I mean, I just don't understand where all this because you say you don't have angst, but you seem real angsty when you're playing the drums with that big old beard. Like that's just kind of how it goes. But the thing is, is is the song is very interesting. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a cool deal. Like I've mentioned this before. Like he is legend is one of my favorite bands, and it's because every every album sounds different, but you know it's he is legend. I feel the same thing yeah. with you guys. Like as soon as that song came on, it's like, yeah, I know that's August Burns Red, but it still feels so different. But I, I feel like it comes back to the overall writing process for August Burns Red because there's a, been a lot of talk about the band's collaborative writing process. It's not just, hey, you're the bassist, write the bass line and then shut up. Hey, you're the drummer. I don't want to hear about your lyrics. You know, it's yeah. just kind of, I keep, I feel like I'm picking on him. I've been yeah. picking on him the whole show, but like, you know, maybe don't show him this, this episode. But, you know, if you would explain kind of the right, yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Um, but he'll, I like him too. He can come on here and defend yeah. himself. I don't have any problems with it, but tell us about how the writing process has defined, has evolved over time for the band. And did any of that kind of change as, as y'all were writing and recording guardians? It's changed a lot. In the beginning, we used to play together. We used to play together before, I don't know. We, we used to write songs together in the same place in the same space. Now we write individually of each other. We get to the studio. We've never played the song together before in person. So JB will write all the guitar parts. Dustin will write his guitar parts. They'll send them to me. I'll write all the drum parts. I'll get into the studio, record drums. JB's sitting there hearing me play the drum parts to the song he wrote on guitar for the first time while it's being recorded. 
so that's it's kind of unique you know it's it's um it's effective for us it's efficient a lot of bands are more jam bands where they get a lot done when they're playing together in person we do not we're more meticulous and able to be more efficient this way lyrically speaking um i wrote about five or six lyrics on this record and brent wrote the rest and so that is also a collaborative effort but ultimately the goal is to write the best possible song pop the best possible song so that it doesn't really matter who contributed what part or what instrument, but it's just, it's the best song that we could possibly write as a group of five guys. And that's the way we've always viewed the writing process. So JB will come up with the drum part. I think it's cool. He thinks my part sucks. Perfect. I'll record it. That's not what you would expect to hear. You know what I mean? When you're talking about people, cause there's so much pride and you know, people that are musicians are like, well, I'm an artist and mm-hmm. this is my art. Mm-hmm. And are you saying my art's not any good? And it sounds like in your band that, yeah, at any point, like I I've been picking on Jordan this whole time, but Jordan can just say, <laughs> no, no, Matt. I mean, this, this drum part stinks. Yeah. What if you played it this way? Or what if you did it that way? And I, I think that's healthy for the band overall. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. It's taken a long time though to get there, but yeah. It's it's very healthy because, like the the problem with the problem with the arts is that it's hard for people to accept criticism because they feel like they're being attacked for their for who they are, you know. Um, I heard I heard it said once that in the business world the idol is money. Be creative as you want to, but hold on, not not too creative as to compromise the bottom line. In the artistic world, the idol is creativity. Make money, sure, that's fine. Be business my butt, hold on, not in not uh, hold on, you got to stop there because it's starting to infringe on the creative aspect. So the business world and the artistic world are just flip-flopped. In the business world, the idol's money, in the artistic world, the idol's creativity, but it's really just one and the same. The thing about being an artist is that it's 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 hard to accept criticism when, in fact, it is the best possible thing for you, because if you are going to grow. Then you need to be open to someone else saying, I really don't think that's that good. In fact, that drum fill sucks. Like, what are you playing there? Let me show you something else. You learn to play someone else's idea, which therefore makes you a better musician and in the end makes a better song. That was not the case like 10 years ago. We used to get into fights in the studio, like not, you know, I used to, I used to play whatever I played. And if someone was like, I don't think I would just be like, shut up, stop. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about, loser. (laughs) But I feel like that that's healthy for you guys as a band. And and I know with all of us, if somebody's critical of a podcast I've done or any type of content that I put out, you know, I get defensive because it's like, well, I put my best foot forward. But when someone points out that perhaps you didn't, that should be good for you. It's like (laughs) you would if if you were doing if you were doing a, a workout wrong at the gym and it was so wrong that you were eventually going to hurt yourself, you wouldn't be mad at a guy for coming up and saying, hey, would you would you mind if I, I showed you a, an adjustment that may make this easier for you or may mm-hmm. you know keep you safe? Like You, you wouldn't do that. So mm-hmm. it's all about improvement. It's all about getting better. Uh, but the last uh, question of the day I got for you is from the new album. Again, guys, it comes out uh, you know April 3rd, so make sure that you get that. Make sure you pre-order it. Is there a song that you are personally especially proud of that's going to be off the new album, something for us to look forward to. You bet. There's a song um, called Lighthouse. Lighthouse is about the Good Samaritan, actually. Um, this is a it's it's a it's a fairly long song, 
Well, well, say that. Um, there are longer songs, but it, it's. It took me a long time to write this song because it's very personal to me. Um, it's about reaching out and helping someone else in need and how too often the church does a piss poor job of doing that. They turn their back to people in need because the people in need don't fit into what, what they think they need to associate with. And it's complete trash. Um, the genre in which I play, you know, there are some of the best people I've ever met are people that will, will never go inside of a church, you know. And um, I, I love them. I love them and they need help and they need guidance. And the church just like turns a blind eye. So um, this song called Lighthouse, there's, there's a line, uh, I just pulled it up here. Um, passion in action is compassion. Love is greater than what it's made of. It will cost you, someone has to pay. But it's only when you give nothing that you've wasted your wealth away. Talks about the Good Samaritan. I actually researched this. Did you know the Good Samaritan? If you're not familiar, um, story in the Bible, Good Samaritan, this this battered, beat up, broken man on the side of a road. Um, there are several people who have an opportunity to help him, and instead they step over him and continue on their way. And someone stops the pro, or, or uh, the Good Samaritan stops and helps him. Okay, I researched this. Did you know that the road that the Good Samaritan was was found on um, it was not a very wide road. I wanted to look this up to make sure because I thought, what if this road was just really wide and this religious person just didn't see him? If right, you look sure. up, if you look up the the details of this story, it's it's it could not be the case. It's an impossibility that this religious man did not see him. In fact, he would have had to have stepped over, literally stepped over this broken man. And so in the second part of the song, Lighthouse, I'm critical of the church in saying, um, help nowhere to be found, just the sound of church bells, a congregation too good to turn around. Their prayers to a God are spoken in vain. His home is with the broken. He is the answer to their pain. A faith so fragile, they're told to never leave. Scared they'll be seen for who, for what they are, not what they've achieved. So who will rise up? Who will reach out? Uh, a monster's legacy ends the day he dies. The man never forgotten is the one who's crucified. The treasure is in the tatters, not just another cog in the wheel, a stranger's face in a foreign place. Divine design will light the way. Help those in need, and you've said more than words could ever say. So this song, I'm, I'm really hoping, and um, I, I, I really hope that this song is a song that encourages change in people and that they don't look at someone who is considered an outcast or someone that's, that requires too much of them or too far outside of what they're comfortable with. Um, I, I hope that people adjust their perspective and say, you know what? Um, those, those are the kind of people that when I spend time with them will probably impact me more than I could ever impact them because they'll, they'll teach me, you know, what it is to, to, to really love and to really live in a way that's non-judgmental and humble and fair. Um, and in the end, we'll be able to help each other out, pick each other up instead of just, you know, trashing each other all the time. 
That's great, man. If anybody, uh, which all of you should be picking up this new album, that is actually track five on the album. So make sure you take a look at that. That's right after Defender, which is a single that they just released here recently. But man, that's all for me. Uh, we, we went everywhere in this conversation. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you want to get off your chest? Yeah. Well, yeah, I actually haven't really talked about Lighthouse before. So that's, um, you know, that's personal to me. And that's, that's something that, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm hopeful if you're going to start anywhere on this record, start, start with Lighthouse. If you have Spotify, just start with track five. Um, just give it a listen, give it a couple listens. And, um, I hope, I hope that it's helpful in the same way that I have found that story helpful. Um, I hope it's helpful to you too. Um, there's an event that I'm doing called beating drums to battle cancer. It's February 23rd. And, um, it's here actually in Lancaster County. There's a little five-year-old girl named McKenna who's battling cancer the second time. The last thing in the world, her family should have to worry about is money. I saw that they needed well, like five grand. I'm like, okay, well, we can put that together. We should be able to put that together pretty easily in one night. So we're doing an event. I'm going to be playing drums, um, a couple songs. We're going to be doing a live podcast recording. And uh, if you want to come out, great. You can buy some raffle stuff. We have a symbol sticks we have a two thousand dollar pair of ultimate ear headphones a lot of other cool stuff for the raffle and then if you just want to donate you can do that as well uh if you go to my instagram at, at matthew griner uh, there's a link in my profile awesome yeah guys i've got the link for his instagram page here in the show notes and so guys this is one of those times where we get to show out where where we can actually be the church in motion and help somebody out i mean we, we've all got problems we've we've all got issues but i'm sure that this family would would appreciate it even if you just could donate a little bit of that but again guys one last mm-hmm. time guardians the new august burns red album is going to be released on april the third their ninth full-length studio album matt griner thanks for coming on on daunted life a man's podcast Dude, thank you so much. This was um, this was very well done, and I hope if you're listening to this that you got something out of it. Uh, continue to support this podcast. Keep listening to it. This is a really good thing. So thank you. So there you have it, guys. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, I tried to tell you from the beginning that this is not just some, you know, knuckle dragon metal drummer. Like this is this is a nuanced dude that has a very wide range of knowledge, especially with music, but also has a deep faith and spends a lot of time thinking about that. Uh, we didn't really talk about this on air, but there's uh, a song on the album. It's actually the last song of the album called Three Fountains. And he was talking a little bit about what that is like. And it is very scriptural and also very brutal and very, very visceral and real and just it it was a pleasure talking to that guy and you know a lot of the guys in the band are very similar to Matt but again as you can tell just a really really nice guy gave us way more time than what we had originally agreed to like we just kept flowing with the interview so we really do appreciate it all right guys before we let you out of here we are going to do a quick resilience boost as you know by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience specifically we do that by providing you content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual mental and physical toughness so today we're going to talk a little bit about all the things, or I'll give you a rundown of all the things that we talked about. So I've got the website, augustburnsred.com. That's where you can pre-order the new album Guardians before it comes out on April the 3rd. I've got the music video that they released for their single, the first single off of that album called Defender. And Revolver did a kind of a two-part docu-series on them called A Metal Band from Amish Country. So I've got both of those links here. They were interviewed twice. Uh, this is August Burns Red was interviewed twice on the labeled podcast. So I've got links to both of those shows. Uh, earlier, we talked about 
the fact that Matt Griner did a cover of a Hillsong worship song. So that's what a beautiful name. So you can check that out. And I've also got Matt Griner's Instagram and his YouTube channel. But again, on his Instagram, if you go into the links there, there's a link where we can go out there and we can help out that family and that little girl that's uh, fighting through cancer up there in Pennsylvania. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, we would love a five-star review from you if you think we deserve one. So leave us those five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2020. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your team, at your men's event, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. Again, that's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red and especially Matt Griner for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. That's why you got all that great music here in this particular episode. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.